1: I have some incredible news my second book how to have difficult conversations about race is now the number one new release in its category on Amazon I'm so excited so excited for this because we've put a lot of work into it and this was risky because as a lawyer who's focusing on negotiation and conflict resolution talking about race seems for many to be outside of the scope of what I usually do but again how are we defining negotiation we define negotiation as anytime you're having a conversation and somebody in the conversation wants something. And as the podcast is titled, Negotiate Anything, we can negotiate anything. And in my years of doing uh, all of this work in the professional world, difficult conversations about race is something that comes up over and over and over again in the workplace. And there isn't really a, a solid resource out there that blends the fundamentals of negotiation and conflict resolution and effective communication with this particular topic. So it's risky. It is risky to venture in this way, but I'm really excited and encouraged by this early result. So this is not just a win for me. This is a win for you too, because you are part of this tribe. And so a quick note about the book. Who did I write this for? I I wrote this for the person who is passionate about changing the world and their organizations for the better. The leader who leads a diverse team and the professional who wants to learn how to overcome the hidden barriers that make it tough to connect with people with a different Background. So whether you consider yourself an ally or just want to avoid making a critical mistake when discussing race, this book is for you. And for you as a podcast listener, I'm making a direct request. After six years and over 600 episodes of Negotiate Anything, I'm asking for your support in this endeavor to make the world a better place. Our goal of the American Negotiation Institute is to change the world. And this book plays a critical role in making that happen. And we would love to have your support. We have the links in the description of this episode so you can get your copy of How to Have Difficult Conversations About Race. Hello, my friends, and welcome to our practice session. In our practice sessions, we invite our featured guests to show off their negotiation and conflict resolution skills in a realistic scenario. In this session, I want you to pay attention to what our guest does and not to what I do, because while they are trying to show off their skills and teach you, I'm trying to frustrate their efforts in different ways through things like aggression, annoyance, emotionality, or awkwardness. And then after the practice session, we debrief brief and talk about what worked, what didn't work, and what you can use in your next difficult conversation. Hey, everybody, welcome back. And we are in the sparring session. We have celebrity Dr. Zawadeh Marshall here today. And um, I'll give you the floor, Zawadeh, to
2: tell us uh, about the situation and the role you'll be playing and the role I'll be playing. Ah, uh, celebrity I wish. Tell it to my wife and kids. Why take out the trash tonight? Um, I'm Dr. Zwadia Marshall. I'm a double board certified anesthesiologist and interventional spine specialist. I have a interventional practice in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, today I'll be talking with uh, with Kwame uh, about a fairly typical Patient interaction uh, that's based on the chronic pain patient, uh, and I think many of your listeners uh, may have heard of the opioid crisis and uh, the the fact that you know there are two Americans that die every hour from opioid overdoses. Uh, it's uh, it, it's really an epidemic that's been afflicting a lot of middle class households uh, across the country. And in that crisis, at the underpinning of it, are these patients who, uh, by no fault of their own, may have had an accident or an injury and may have been prescribed medications that just spiral out of control. So Qualmy will be playing the role of a 44-year-old uh, uh, male who uh, had a motor vehicle accident uh, uh, 15 years prior. Uh, that accident re- resulted in him having a left upper extremity uh, injury, where his arm has now chronic constant shooting neuropathic pain. Uh, and over the years, he's been prescribed high dose opioids. uh, Oxycontin, 30 milligrams, three times daily. uh, Fentanyl patches, 75 milligrams every three days. And then Percocet tablets, uh, uh, 10 milligram tablets, four times daily. And so I just described a very heavy opioid dosage. Now, he's coming to see me as a new patient because his former prescribing physician uh, has now closed down, down uh, uh, his office. Um, and uh, what I know um, that the patient does not know is that the, that, that physician's office was closed down by the DEA because of over-prescribing narcotics. Uh, and so this gentleman is coming to see me. Uh, he's got a wife, uh, two young kids, uh, and, uh, and uh, is a very pleasant demeanor, but is looking for me to take over his pain prescribing uh, of his narcotics. And that's pretty much why he's here. He's, there's no other interest uh, in our visit, but the fact that I can give him the medications that he wants. Perfect. I have my marching
1: orders. All righty. Let's get into it. And I'll um,
2: let you go ahead and start the interaction. And we will begin now. Excellent. So good afternoon, Mr. Christian. Uh, Welcome to the office. Uh, I understand that you're here to see me because of chronic left arm pain. Can you tell me more about your pain complaints?
1: Yeah, doc. Thanks. Thanks for seeing me, Um, especially such short notice. Yeah. Yeah. 15 years ago, I had this accident and I've just been dealing with pain ever since. And it's just a, a part of my life that I guess I've grown to accept. It's had a horrible impact on everything that I do with my family, with work, anything that I want to do, relaxation, anything. Um, it's just always there. And so I just I, I, I need help. I need help with, with dealing with this pain, just so I can I can live my
2: life. That's all I'm looking to do. Understood, and uh, we're here to be helpful. Can you take a little bit more time and tell me about the nature and the character of the pain? Is it sharp, shooting, dull, aching? How would you describe what you experience on a daily basis?
1: Yeah, the, the pain is sharp and it's shooting, so it's on my left side in my arm. It just, and it goes, it shoots down my arm um, but it's it's a sharp pain. I, I wish I hear people talk about these dull aching pains. That's just it's never been my experience. It's just a constant sharp shooting pain. Sometimes sometimes I get some relief. Um, what literally. else? Um, I sometimes I, I just find a position where it doesn't hurt as much. And so when I find that position, it's rare, but I find it, I I hang out in this position as long as I can, but eventually I have to move, like just a little shift, and then it's gone again, and the the pain just start shooting back you know and so over the course of my time trying to find out what works um i had a previous doctor i love my doctor i love my doctor he was um, he was amazing and uh he was the only person who would that seemed interested in helping me and i, I think that just the way that the medical profession is going right now the the, the doctors out there people are just in it for money and they don't care to help people anymore and i had a doctor and i had him for a few years and he actually cared to help me he cared about me he cared about my two kids cared about my, my wife and and cared about making my life better and my life was a lot better when he was around but but he's gone and the thing is i i've heard a lot of great things about you um you have you have uh, it, it's clear from the reviews online um that you're somebody who actually cares about people just like my other doctor and so i'm I, I'm just. I'm glad you took the time, and I'm, I'm glad to get help.
2: We're happy to be here, and uh, we treat very many patients like you. And a part of our treatment plan is to ensure that uh, you understand that that we certainly have seen this pain condition before, uh, and can provide the techniques that can be helpful to improve your function and quality of life. You mentioned having a wife and two kids. What are the activities that you that you do with them that that provoke or exacerbate that pain? Anything. I mean, it's it's
1: it's embarrassing to say, but I mean, with uh, with my wife, it's been really hard to to be intimate with her without being distracting, distracted, you know, by the pain. Um, it's been leading to other issues uh, with um, a little bit of. Uh, intimacy issues, Yeah, intimacy issues. So that's, that's been challenging for me. It's been challenging for her. Um, my kids are active. My son is 12. My daughter is 10 and they have a lot of energy and, you know, they want to go out and play. My wife can't play with them all the time. And so when I try to move, anytime I try to move, I feel that pain. So I have to stay, I can't move and enjoy my time with my family anymore. And it's just, it's, it's, it's so hard.
2: Take me back to before the accident. What were the things that you did? What were your hobbies? Uh, what What's your profession? What do you do for fun now? And, and what did you do before?
1: Yeah, so I was a, um, I like to work out. Uh, my friends and I, we would go to the gym. I think we were kind of a little bit bro-ish. You know, we'd go and we would work out, um, try to see who can outlift each other. Um, I never liked cardio. Cardio was just, we, we never got along. But I, I would go out and play basketball, play tennis and those type of things. I, really, I had a really active lifestyle. Um, and um, just to unwind, I would, I would ride on my motorcycle. And, you know, my, my mom, my wife, they always, they never liked the motorcycle, but I did. It was free. And I think it, it gave me that sense of rebellion. And so um, obviously, I guess they get to say I told you so for the rest of my life because because here we are now, but I was I was really active. I was really, really active. Um, I, I worked um, at a construction site, and so it was it was it was hard work, but I like using my hands. I really like using my hands and, and having the satisfaction of seeing like a, a blank slate. And then coming back and seeing something built up there and seeing I had a part of that. So that's what I used to do. But obviously, that's not something I can do anymore.
2: Sure. I think uh, creating something can be very therapeutic. And so um, having a a history in the construction business, I think, makes sense. Uh, and, uh, And getting you to a place where you can get back to doing some creation uh, and we can figure out what it can be over the course of the next several weeks, um, I think uh, we can get on a path to getting you feeling better. Now, uh, I have your medication list in front of me. Can you tell me about other therapies that you've tried besides these medications? Have you done anything else? I feel like I've tried it
1: all, Doc, and the only thing that works is this um, uh therapeutic cocktail that, that that i have right now uh some oxy some fentanyl, some perks and that's really the only thing that's worked sure i've tried some some physical therapy that just made everything worse And when i say everything i mean everything like it it hurt throughout and i just became it it took a psychological toll because it felt like it was almost abusive Cause it was, I wasn't getting any better from that. Um, I saw some shrink one time and they just told me a bunch of mumbo jumbo. And I, I just, I stopped after two sessions. And then once I got my, my doctor, uh, my buddy, he, he, he gave me what I needed and life has been closer to normal
2: since then. And it's just been spiraling out of, out of control since he left. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that um, Let's um, talk a little bit more about Some of your records show that uh, You've been having a history of constipation um, How often are you going to the bathroom On a weekly basis for a bowel movement I would say On a good week Maybe about three times Okay um, And uh, and that's been happening for how long um,
1: Man, it's hard to pick a starting point for that, probably it's wow. It's almost a decade. Almost a decade. Oh,
2: okay, uh, and you're well hydrated. You eat a lot of uh, high fiber foods, mm-hmm. I presume.
1: I, I yes. do. I try to hydrate a lot. I'll be honest, Doc. I don't like foods with fiber in it. They do not be they that great. But I've been forcing myself.
2: I, I take some supplements that help. Sure. Sure. Okay, uh, and I understand as well that you've you've made a note in your new patient documents that that you've having a lot of depression and anxiety uh, over the course of the past several years related to the pain as well. Mm-hmm. Is that correct?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's been terrible. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So um, let me, uh, I'll examine you now and um, and we'll take a look and, and, and see exactly what's going on here. I do have your imaging reports and records and I've seen them. Uh, and so I'll go over with you the diagnosis uh, and, uh, and some of the, the, the therapeutic options that we can offer.
0: Imagine this, higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.
2: Now we're at the point where I'm going to give the plan. So, Mr. Christian... Thank you for being in here with me today. Thanks for your candor and for telling me uh, the entire story of your accident. It's clear to me that you're a very resilient uh, gentleman. Uh, Looking at the injury records, uh, the MRI, um, the nerve conduction studies, you have um, a condition called complex regional pain syndrome, which is debilitating for many uh, and is associated with very severe pain, as you have experienced. Um, I think that the treatments that you mentioned, uh, as we discussed the things that you've done, um, would be the beginning of a a treatment regimen for someone with this complicated uh, diagnosis. Uh, But I want to go over uh, with you now in more detail the things that I think can be the most helpful. To not just improving your pain, but getting you back to a place of function. Uh, to having you be able to function with your family, your kids, those interactions, even getting you doing, to doing some sports uh, and or uh, some kind of a creation activity, uh, whether it be uh, painting. I know you're right hand dominant, and that left hand is important, uh, but but I want you to be able to feel comfortable using it to some degree. Uh, the first thing is um, at the cornerstone of these chronic pain conditions is. Uh, good physical therapy and by, by a, a real expert therapist who understands the mechanism of injury for your specific unique case. Uh, in your case, because those nerve endings have to interact with your muscles and tendons, you want to have a therapist that understands when to push and when to give you some relief and, and some relaxation. The key is to get you to having some desensitization where usual activities should not be triggering a very painful response. And the only way to get there will be exposing those nerves to some sensitization by doing activities like uh, uh, cold compresses, having your, your, your arm in a, in, a, in a rice bowl, and getting in touch with that sensation of having different textures against that arm. That's number one. The second thing is, There are these nerve blocks that can be helpful with numbing the nerve pain down the arm. And that block is done under ultrasound guidance uh, or with an x-ray machine uh, where we very carefully and gently uh, get the medication to spread along the nerve plexus and uh, give you some uh, relief, maybe temporary, maybe enough time for you to tolerate going to a physical therapist and having some of that therapy uh, actually work. Um, I think uh, the fact that you've been on opioid medications is not unreasonable. Um, based upon the, the amount of pain that folks have in this condition, uh, I can see that as being a, a, an option that, that we should continue, though the dosing that you're on uh, is likely causing you to have some other problems. So if you recall, uh, you mentioned having constipation of three bowel movements a week. That is very abnormal. And it's likely caused by the narcotics slowing down the motility in your gut. So your bowels don't move as fast as they should. And that's a known consequence of high-dose opioids. All right. That's number one. The second thing is uh, the intimacy challenges with your wife. That's also a known side effect of the testosterone levels being lowered by chronic high-dose narcotics. And so having us giving us some time to work carefully with your dosing, not discontinuing the medications, but slowly over time, weaning them down to a safe level while we also employ the other techniques that can give you some relief in the, in, in, in the near to medium term, uh, and then getting you back to a place of being functional as well. Let me pause and give you a chance to react uh, to the recommendations that I have.
1: So What I'm hearing is, is that you're going you're gonna to take away the meds that I need in order to feel better. So I've been with quacks in the past who tried to take away my meds and it never works. It never works. I just end up in more pain. And then they go, they, they, they go say, hey, go work with this person to, to bend you up and, and cause more pain. And so that's what I'm hearing. You just, it, this is torture. This isn't fair. This is why I like my old doctor. He, he, he was the only person who gave me what I needed to feel better. And I don't, I don't understand why it's so hard to find a good doctor nowadays.
2: Sure. I completely understand. And uh, and your perspective on this is reasonable and warranted because you've been in this regimen for some time and it's been effective for you. I think what you're not appreciating right now is that you're having other consequences from this medication regimen that over the long term can cause you grave harm. Uh, this dosing is associated with uh, uh, overdose deaths where this medicine acts on your lungs to slow your breathing, where you can go to sleep one night and just not wake up because uh, because of the the high-dose narcotics slowing your breathing and causing you to have uh, 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 lack of oxygen and, and just death. Uh, and so it's part of my job as your doctor to, to help with the pain. And again, I'm not going to discontinue your medications. We're going to have a plan in place to slowly wean them, and we're not going to decrease until you're beginning to get some level of of, of increased function and, and pain relief with the other therapies that I'm also recommending. And so I want you to just be open to the idea that we'll be working uh, in concert to have a number of different options where the goal is to get you more functional and increasing your, 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 your potential for a functional life by decreasing your risk of death with high-dose narcotics. And here's the thing that bothers me
1: is because you people like you come in and you tell me you you dictate over my life and you say, this is what you need. This is what you don't need. This is good for you. This is bad for you. Those type of things. But people don't seem to care about how I'm feeling because you're saying, oh, you might die. Or the other alternative is, oh, you just have a lot of pain and live a miserable life that's not worth living. You know, for me at this point, it's been 15 years. The only thing that works is this level of medication. You want to take it away and you're going to create a situation where I'm, I feel as though I'm put in a position where I'm now living a life not worth living. And I'm just supposed to be cool with that. And I, I think it's cool for you to do it because, you don't. you know, uh, other doctors are like you are not afraid to take risks. And uh, and frankly, you're not feeling the pain. And so it's really easy for you to sit on the sideline and say, oh, yeah, just do this and be in in horrendous pain for how long? I don't know. Um, but we're going to take away the thing that works and we're going to say, oh, yeah, we'll give you a little bit of the thing that works, but not enough to make you feel better. It's just it's so it's just so infuriating.
2: Sure. And and I'm sorry you're feeling that way, uh, but I don't think you're, you're actually hearing my, my recommendation. Um, I'm not going to discontinue your medications. Uh, we're going to work together to get it at a dose that's that's safe, that will not have you overdose and die. The other thing that that, that that you've not yet done over the course of the many years of you having this illness is tried these recommendations that I'm offering to you. You've not had the nerve blocks that I'm offering today. Uh, you've also not had the kind of physical therapy that I'm recommending. And so And so what I'd like for you to hear me say is that I am not taking away your meds as a way to punish you. I'm looking to find um, a comprehensive treatment plan that'll get you feeling better and being more functional and decreasing your risk of death and immobility with a dangerous cocktail of medications. And that's going to be a process over time. And I want you to trust me that we're going to work together and we're going to devise this plan together. And so if something is failing, you'll give me that feedback and we're going to try to ensure that we're not I'm not failing you, but that we're getting you to, to an outcome that makes sense for your overall health. So what happens
1: if we, we, we do this and then it, it doesn't work? I don't think it'll work. We say we do this and it doesn't work. Then will you put me back to that level of medication so I can at least get some reprieve?
2: No, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. What I, want, what I want you to decide today to do is to enter into a treatment plan that, in, that involves the therapy, the nerve block, the med- some of those medications, uh, and, and see how you progress over time. Good. And let's let's end the scene here. That was
1: good. That was that was really good. Let's do some. uh, Let me read off some of my observations. Um, So there were a few times where I tried to say something that I knew you would disagree with. Um, The first one was pretty early where I said my my previous doctor was good because he gave me all of the medications that I want. And I looked on your reviews and they say you're a great doctor. And so essentially what I'm trying to insinuate by that is like hey I consider this doctor to be great because he gave me what I wanted you're great so you should give me what I wanted right and I think for a lot of people the the people pleaser inside of them says well I want to be liked and so uh, a move like that can try to can kind of get into their heads so when somebody says something like that to try to almost smooth talk you and make you make it seem as though there you should work for their admiration and their appreciation um how do you stay strong in those types of situation with that low level persuasion
2: sure so i think uh, a part of the the what's impressive about this folly is that you played the part of the patient exceptionally well um and uh, and and to, to, the, to your point that's a a a common tactic employed by most patients when they they'll they'll try to they'll either do splitting where the doctor is great and the staff is bad or they'll use your reviews or their old doctors as a foil uh to say that this was great about them or this was bad about them so i I know that you're better so you're going to do this thing um i don't acknowledge it at all uh so i don't give it any oxygen uh i will i I don't address it directly i i make it as a, a I'll, I'll just take notes while they're speaking and I continue to take notes so that they get from me that I'm collecting all of the data, including that part, right? Uh, but I'm not going to respond to it directly. And so over the course of the visit, you'll never hear me bad talk their previous doctor uh, unless it came to a point of them demanding a medication. And then I, I might use as my final like lever that, look, that doctor... Maybe in jail right now because of these medications at this dosage, and that's likely why you're not seeing him. And good luck finding another doctor who's going to prescribe you medicines at this dosage in the future. I'm all you've got. So, and I'm not taking it away from you. You'll be getting some of them, but you got to do some other things as well. Uh, and so, so that tends to be the the kind of last line of defense where they realize quickly that they've got no one nowhere else to go and and so my therapeutic recommendation need will will be viewed as a lot more empathetic and a lot more reasonable when the alternative is nothing yep oh this is great so listeners you're probably familiar with the
1: term best alternative to a negotiated agreement or BATNA and so this is if you do not get a deal what is your alternative and so in this situation what you do is, just like any other negotiation, you don't start talking about the BATNA unless you absolutely have to, because it can be perceived as a threat. And so, zwade if you were to lead with that, then you are eroding the relationship. Um, you're just like, hey, my name is zwade and your old doctor was a quack. You know, that's probably not going to be great for the relationship building. Right? And, That's right. and so you say, and just like you said, as a last resort, you're letting them know hey, I understand what your alternative is, and your alternative is not very good. I am your best alternative. <laughs> you are here right now. So this is our, our opportunity to make things better. And so you hold that card until you need to. That's right.
2: And even if, and when you're forced to deploy that card, it's not, it's not enjoyable because you still run the risk of eroding that, that, that alliance. And and if if but 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 what is my alternative, right? So so the patient's Batna is they've got nowhere else to go. At the point that I'm having to deploy that card, I've got nowhere else to go. This is cause whatever was said that led me to have to use that card proves that this may not be the right person for my practice. So it's either you're going to comply and toe the line or you're not going to be under my care because I can choose who to take care of and I cannot be fighting with someone over the course of our treatment sessions who wants something that's becoming illegal and has a high risk of death. Right. And I agree with you. I would just rephrase
1: it because you say you don't have any alternative. You actually do have an alternative, which is I'm going to see my next patient because (laughs) the reality is if if this patient chooses, hey, if you don't prescribe this in, in this illegal and dangerous type of way to me, I'm leaving. Then you say, okay, then leave. I will continue to run my practice and have a loving family at home. Right. Right. Because you you don't need that specific patient. You want to help them, but your existence is not wrapped up in it. And I see so many negotiators struggle because they get their identity wrapped up in the specific deal. You see people in relationships struggle because they get their identity wrapped up in that specific person, not finding the right relationship, but having a relationship with that specific person. And one of the most dangerous emotions to feel in a negotiation is a feeling of need because if you need that person that means you're going to be willing to give up a lot to keep that person and in your case it could be your license and your freedom if you make those types of concessions
0: you're
2: absolutely correct and beautifully said um i'll layer on one wrinkle and complexity to the fact that i don't need that patient you're right um i can continue to build and grow my practice with folks that 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 are like-minded and will subscribe to my philosophy until that patient leaves your office and goes and reports it on Facebook, Twitter, your website, and the medical board. And you're now dealing with responding to a complaint of a disgruntled patient. And I'll be exonerated but the energy, the brain damage from having to defend yourself to the public, right? When there are many chronic pain patients who've been mishandled by doctors and all of a sudden a complaint about me phrased the right way could make me appear to be one of those doctors as well. And so, and so a large part of what colors my interaction with patients is ensuring that even if it's not going to work out, they leave feeling respected, and they leave feeling as though I am trying to be a responsible doctor, and I really believe that my recommendation is the best thing for them, and it's the best science available, so that there's not so they'll be less inclined to trash me publicly, because that actually does affect me in a real and and lasting way, because you can't get those reviews to go away after someone uh, 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 trashes you, unless they they take it on themselves. Um, Funnily enough, this scenario is a real patient scenario uh someone that i saw a few months ago uh and um and he was not adversarial the way you played in the in in the volley he was soft spoken very uh, he was not a professional anymore he was a professional before uh he was injured two kids wife and at the end of the interaction he left appearing to subscribe to the therapy that I recommended, which is much like I told you. And then two days later, I wake up to a one-star review on Google left by his wife who said that, and she wrote a very eloquent narrative online. And she was not there in the visit, but she described the pain patient from the perspective of a spouse. And it was credible, And it was heart-wrenching that she's seen her husband over the years regress and struggle and suffer in pain, going from ER to ER, trying to get help, having uh, finally met a doctor that was giving him a regimen that was effective and worked for him, only to be seen by a new doctor, Dr. Marshall, whose reviews were stellar, and they had hope that he'll be able to get the treatment that's worked for him for the last decade, and um, came to my office, and 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 it was they quickly realized that uh, I pulled a rug out from under them, and now a husband and father can't function with his family and kids, mm. and that's the review that was left. Now, as I read the review, I felt like it was a gut punch. It was my first really bad review, but it was so credible. As I read it, and as someone who takes care of pain patients, I can see a population of my patients identifying with the kind of trauma that she describes having to deal with as as a spouse of a chronic pain patient. And everything she described was credible. And it's a part of the agony that these families deal with when they're caring for a loved one in chronic pain. So I called him, the patient. And I, I said, you know, you know I, I, I thought we had a, an understanding and and uh, a, a treatment plan that was going to be effective going forward. And he's like, yes, doc, we do. I said, okay, well, then uh, were you are you aware of this review that your wife put? And he's like, oh, my goodness. When I came back from the visit, I explained to her the plan, and she immediately hearkened back to, the, to five years ago when she was pregnant with her with her second child and I was having a really bad pain episode then because a previous doctor had stopped my medications and she was a single parent for the first year and a half of my child's life because I was trying to find pain medicines from ER to ER and so any discussion around weaning and changing my medications took her back to that place and and so and so he was extremely apologetic. Suffice it to say that uh, I invited her to the next visit that we had, so I met with both him and her at the next visit, and that review is no longer there. But I I was able to salvage that one, but I know that doctors everywhere are facing this dilemma, right? Uh, and it's not that we tap dance for reviews, but but we care about the perception that people have or patients have about what we do and how we do it because we're serving bosses here i've got to comply with the board requirements i have the law enforcement agencies looking at my my practice very very closely and then i've got these patients like this guy who's not a drug seeker but he's been given an an inappropriate regimen for the last decade a regimen that was actually appropriate 10 years ago that that society and the, and and the rules have now changed where what was fine 10 years ago is no longer fine. So now we have to change the the regimen to make it more compliant with what's happening today. Uh, And that's not the patient's fault. They did not demand the dose that they're on. But now I have to do the cleanup job of getting them down to a dose that makes sense and convincing them that my methods will actually help them in the long run, even though there's a short-term pain. So it's incredibly challenging. And the, each negotiation does not end with the outcome where you feel good about it, um, but you begin to feel better about yourself in that at least you've convinced yourself that that the narrative that you're giving to these patients is indeed the right one, and you have enough success stories from the ones that stay with you that can get down from 500 morphine equivalents to 50 and and function and, and live, you know, highly engaged lives, even though they're going to have chronic pain for the rest of their life, they become less pain focused. And those successes make up for the ones that you don't get to understand why it is that you have to prescribe the way you do. Wow.
1: I have nothing to add. <laughs> to that. That's, that's incredible. I, and I think, I mean, we have so many layers here. So we have the, the actual interaction with the patient then we have the in, the subsequent interaction with the patient about the review and then we have another interaction with the patient and with the patient's wife and i think one of the things that we have to consider here is that there's no such thing as a one-on-one negotiation that's a myth it's never sure. just one-on-one you always have to consider third parties who are going who are the people who are the stakeholders that are going to be part of this interaction, even if they're not physically here at the negotiating table. And I think this is a a powerful example of of the the power of difficult conversations because you had the initial conversation and it went well. And then you had established a relationship with the patient to the point where you could have this, this conversation that wasn't necessarily scheduled and just say, hey, this is the situation. What happened? And then you were able to be successful in that interaction as well. And I think what this really shows is that when it comes to the art and science of negotiation and conflict resolution, it's not a question of whether or not you negotiate. It's just a question of whether or not you negotiate well. And a lot of times the different professionals, they say, okay, I'm an engineer. Okay, I'm a professor. Okay, I'm whatever the profession happens to be, but they don't recognize that, the degree of happiness and professional success that they have is going to be dictated in large part by how well you do in these difficult conversations.
2: Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, I think, you know, the other part of being a professional that, that, that has these conversations on a daily basis is that you find yourself being, I find myself being surprised when I'm affected. If affected, by an outcome that I didn't, I didn't anticipate. Right, like I couldn't, I couldn't quantify how deflating it was to have climbed that hill with that patient, gotten to a point where you know you knew he, you, I, I knew he was he was going on a limb to believe in me and believe in this process, and 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 having that interaction, and then seeing a third party derail the entire. Process publicly, and seeing the and seeing the, and a description of the same negotiation that you were a part of described publicly in a way that's so resonant and so credible and so wrong, right? And it's it's the power of social media, it's the power of Twitter and Facebook, where you know everyone has a microphone, and 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 the folks that consume the content don't have the benefit of the two sides. But if the side that's out is sounds credible, uh, has an emotional tie to the story and, and describes it in a way that's descriptive and relatable, God help the other person. Because it's, it's really hard to counteract that narrative. I was not even going to attempt to respond to that. You can't engage publicly with, with that. Because like, the other part of it is that there's HIPAA, right? So I cannot go toe-to-toe on a public forum about an interaction that's, that's bonded or bounded by the, the confidentiality oath. And so uh, we're, we're kind of battling with one arm tied behind your back uh, and, um, and, uh, and uh, just struggling through it all at the same time. Man,
1: that's tough. Again, it just shows the, the complexity of this, of these interactions. And before you go, I want to talk about some of the other things that you, that you did really well in this simulation too because like i said you didn't bite on my um, ridiculous statements i called you a quack uh, you gave a, a, a sm- <laughs> that was a good line that was out. a good line
2: <laughs> <laughs> i almost broke character for that one
1: <laughs> you didn't bite on that which was great um i i liked that you complimented me through the process because you said um you uh, you described me as rel- resilient which is great. That makes me feel good. It makes me feel um, seen and and acknowledged. Yeah, this was tough. You are a tough person for making it this far. And then going further saying that this is debilitating for many. And so essentially it's, it's the compliment of this would have killed a lesser man. <laughs> you know, that's and, right. And that resonated with me. So that was really great. And then you talked about the shared goal. You said, this is what I want for you. Seems like based on what you're saying, this is what you want. We want to work collaboratively. And you've mentioned that before. I don't think you used the specific word collaborative, but I think you said, you said working in concert. And that was really, really great. And then you also talked about the Just like you described in the full interview that aired uh, probably two days before. In this, you did a really great job of talking about how I'm experiencing other things that are not that great. Um, Intimacy with my wife is is difficult, uh, constipation that's difficult, those type of things. And I would rather not have that. And you tied that to the dosing. And again, it made it more difficult for me to resist. I still found a way. But it made it more difficult. And then again, hitting the ego because you built me up with the resilience uh, compliment. But then also you said, hey, this will this cocktail will lower your testosterone. No man wants to hear that. Right. And so it's just the, the various layers of persuasion that you put on here that were were fantastic. And then I think the thing that ties it all together is your tone. You were very even throughout the interaction. You always demonstrated that you were in control of the situation. And more importantly, you were in control of your emotions with your tone. And you were very assertive. When it was a no, it was a very clear no. You didn't say, well, maybe we could or maybe we should try. No, you you were very clear. When somebody ran into a boundary, you said, no, that won't work. And here's why. This is your goal. This is my goal. Our goals are the same. That doesn't get you where you want to go. And there was no mincing of words with the way that you said that. I think you you did a fantastic job with setting that boundary while still being
2: empathetic throughout the interaction. Thank you for that. Um, and and it's a bit intentional to to do the things that, that you mentioned. I think many patients like you did are gonna tell you their their pain story, their pain history, uh, in a manner that's trying to convince you that they have legitimate pain because it's so subjective, right? And so pain patients are always trying to prove to their doctors that I am one of the legitimate ones. And so as much as I can acknowledge and validate, and 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 signal that I understand who you are, I understand what you've been through. The words that I use and the way I kind of, the, the way I summarize and get to recommendations, it's paying a nod to that effort on their part to convey to me that they that this is legitimate pain. So, as much as I can recognize and acknowledge it helps with that alliance because then they feel, as you said, heard. And and it makes it easier for them to subscribe to a therapy or an option that I'm giving if if they felt as though I've heard them fully and I recognize and validate whatever their complaints are. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And again, I think, like you said, it's intentional. I like that you use the word intentional because that shows that it's not a natural skill for it's it's a natural skill for very few um it's not natural for me but it's a skill you can learn it you can improve and you can get better so listeners take notes and um, find ways to use this in, in your professional life and uh Zouare, again before you go let the listeners know about you how they can get in touch and uh, and uh, about the practice
2: sure Thank you again for having me, Kwame. My name is Dr. Zwade Marshall. I am an interventional pain specialist in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm the chief medical officer for regenerative spine and pain specialists, and that's regenerativespines.com. Thank you. Thanks, I Appreciate it.